And when they had performed everything, what does it say in verse 39? When they performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee. Now this is important. Because Jesus here is submitting to and fulfilling the law. And one thing we might, might ask a question of is saying, okay, okay, I understand. He's submitting to fulfilling the law. But why is Jesus, why is there purification needed for Jesus? Well, there isn't purification needed for Jesus. Jesus submits himself to the law, and he does so as a representative. This is, Calvin himself puts it, stating that Jesus is actually acting as the one who will become unclean for all humanity. You've got to understand his primary office as Messiah is one to be, take, become the representative of all mankind, of all of us. He becomes a representative and takes sin upon himself, takes the uncleanness upon himself, and then will eventually offer his own blood, which the blood of the lambs and the pigeons and the turtle doves point to as the atonement. There's something else going on here as well. It's not just for Mary's purification, but it's also for Jesus being the firstborn, he's, he's actually going to be redeemed by the parents because according to the law, this is necessary. In Exodus chapter 13, verse 1, it states that the law said to Moses, sorry, the Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me all the firstborn, whether as the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. So ever since the Exodus, the firstborn male of beast or man, belongs to the Lord. It is mine. And then later on, we find out that he also wants them to redeem them from the Lord by paying a price. In Numbers 18, 15, and 16, it says, The firstborn of man you shall redeem. So he's commanding them. You should redeem them. And the firstborn of unclean animals you shall redeem. And their redemption price, at a month old, you shall redeem them. You shall fix at five shekels of silver according to the shekel of the sanctuary, which is 20 geras. And you guys all know what 20 geras are, right? No. Well. <laughs> Neither do I. Five shekels, obviously. Five shekels is what um, they were to pay for the redemption. So now God sets up in his law this, this plan of redemption that the firstborn has to be redeemed. He belongs to the Lord... And now to take him back, you have to pay a redemption price. That's what redemption is, to buy back or to purchase back. What, was, what started off as yours was given to another, and now it comes back through redemption. Again, redemption is worked in throughout God's law to show that he's painting a picture that one day through the firstborn, I am going to redeem all of my people. But he does all of this, and this is what happens here in this particular text in Luke, to do what? To fulfill the law. Now, this is important. This is really important because you understand that Jesus is Messiah, representative of his people. And Jesus kept the law. He submitted himself under the law. He became, he, he put himself under the law. Why? For us. To perform it perfectly as we couldn't. Do you realize that you or me or no one in the planet, no matter how hard they try, if they try for the rest of their lives, can ever, ever keep the righteous requirements of the law? 
The righteous requirements of the law cannot be kept by any man. And I don't care. You could try today. You could try tomorrow. You could try the next day. And you can keep on trying. And you can keep on trying. The righteous requirements of the law can never be met by you. But there's good news. Jesus kept the law. Jesus submitted himself under the law. And Jesus is your representative. He represents you. He submitted himself, when you see this, for your sake. So that he is righteous. I have one who fulfilled and completed and and obeyed the law perfectly. And he's my representative. Now, if you see Jesus as just a man out here, not connected to yourself, if you just see him out here as a man who submits himself under the law, and you think, that's good for him, but here I am, what am I going to do? You're not understanding the relationship correctly. When you come into Christ, you're baptized into Christ, he, his righteousness, his obedience is done for you. So here he is as your representative perfectly keeping the law, doing this not for himself, but for his people. And now here again is the great news. The law can no longer condemn anybody who is in Christ. So the law and Satan, Satan likes to take the law and say to you, guess what, folks? You are guilty. You didn't look at look at look at what you do. Look at how you've acted. Look at what you've thought. Look at what you've said. Look at what you've done. Look at look at you. And you can say, You're right, but look at him. He is my representative. He stands in my steed. He, if you want to see how I've done, look at the one who represents me, Jesus. He keeps it perfectly. And so it's amazing about the laws. There's the righteous requirements of the law, and there's another side of the law that shows the atoning sacrifice within the law. The righteous requirements require holiness, perfect perfection, Uh, You can't sin in any way. That's the righteous requirement. Within the law, there's also the atoning requirements of the law. Within the law, God also said, listen, you guys can't keep it, so you need a blood sacrifice to atone, to pay, to cover over the sin. And Jesus was not only a representative to obey, he was also the representative. He fulfills all of the law. And all of its shadow and all of its type. He is the sacrifice. That's great news. But you know what? Here, something else we, we understand from this passage is this. Not just that Jesus fulfilled the law, which is great in and of itself, but there's more to it than that. This salvation that he brings, he brings a salvation that is, is beyond just penal in the sense of this. Jesus doesn't just save you from hell or the wrath of God or so that you will spend eternity away from him. He doesn't just save you, on the other hand, so that you can go to heaven. Do you realize that the salvation of Jesus is full, is complete, to, from top to bottom in every way? His salvation goes all the way deep down into your soul to save you from the things I mentioned at the very beginning of the sermon. To save you from yourself. To save you from your sin. To save you from your passions. To save you from groping and longing and going after other things. To save you deeply. If we look here at verses 25 through 32... 
we start to hear about this salvation. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the, Jesus, the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, once again, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. And this is what he said. Lord, you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for, the revel- uh, for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Now, he doesn't get into all the specifics here. But this, these words are loaded with the goodness of the gospel and the salvation that Jesus brings. It starts at the very beginning when, if you look at verse 25, he says this, that this man, Simeon, righteous and devout, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That phrase, waiting for the consolation of Israel, is loaded especially for people in Israel. Because here Simeon, has, his eyes have beheld the consolation of Israel. Now, the only time we hear, the word, we hear the word consolation probably is like a consolation prize, somebody who gets like a prize to feel better. You know, you lost, you're no good, here's a little prize to make you feel better. That's the consolation prize. Yeah. The word comes from this idea of consoling. You console someone, it's going to be okay. You're not that bad of a loser. Here's a little booby prize. So that, that's how we think of consoling someone. But the idea of the, of the consolation of Israel is, is Jesus being the one who takes his people from being in sorrow, from being in pain, from being oppressed, from struggling, and delivering them, and bringing them comfort and bringing them peace. It's, it's this idea of a deliverer, more than one coming alongside saying it's going to be okay. The reason they're consoled is because they were in distress, They were oppressed, and yet he delivers them and grants them peace and comfort. So he is the consolation of Israel, Israel's comfort, Israel's deliverer. That's who he is. And he he is that way all the way down. He isn't just delivering them from hell so that they go to heaven. They never thought of it like that at all. What he was is one who was going to take them out of a kingdom of darkness and oppression and bring them into a kingdom of light and freedom. Jesus, you got to understand, is a Messiah and a Lord of a kingdom. And salvation for him is full-orbed. It's deliverance from top to bottom. It involves the whole being, the whole person. He's sure, definitely going to deliver us. He does, and he has delivered us from the wrath of God, from the judgment of hell. But more importantly and most importantly is he's saved us to the uttermost. He's come that you might have life and have it, how? To the fullest. That's why he's come, to give you a kingdom that, that has to do with the best and the goodness of everything and all things, top to bottom. So his salvation isn't just a salvation of deliverance from hell. It's a salvation to a kingdom that's full of goodness. And it's important for us to understand that. 
He also goes on to describe here in this passage down in verse 32, a particular about this salvation. He says, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory for your people Israel. These are two particular components of his salvation that are, that are important for us to understand. First of all, the darkness of, of uh, sorry, the, the rev- for light for revelation to the Gentiles. The reason why there are light is because the gen- Gentiles sit in darkness. This picture of darkness and light describes what, what it's like for people experientially. The Gentiles sit in darkness, the darkness of sin, the darkness of ignorance. They don't know God. They don't know his ways. They don't know the way of salvation. They don't know where they're going or what they're doing. And if you really want to see darkness, look at a people where the gospel has never come before, and you watch the way they live. Have you ever watched you know, Discovery Channel, and they show some tribe, and they've got these wacky, crazy beliefs, and they're just, it's literally, you'd say, how are they living and walking? In darkness. That's, it's a great way to describe it, isn't it? You know, if I was to share with you this morning if my personal testimony of a child or, or of, of, of a man who, I was, I guess I was 15, I wasn't, I don't know what I was, somewhere in the middle there, I was an idiot, that's what I was, I was about 15, I remember looking in the mirror not knowing why I was here, who am I? Why am I here? What's the point? What's the purpose? This makes no sense. I don't get it. And really feeling a sense of hopelessness and wondering, okay, I don't get it. And this life does not deliver. And do you know the best way to describe the way I felt, even inside, the way I was thinking in my head? Darkness. And I remember hearing the gospel And when I heard about Jesus and what he's done, about who I am, who God is, and who Jesus is, and what Jesus did on the cross, dying and raising again, that I might be forgiven and be granted salvation, it was like the lights went on, literally. I saw, it's like I saw myself. I saw who I was in light of God. I saw God. I saw Jesus in his glory and goodness. And when I turned and believed and laid hold of him, light poured through my whole mind, heart, and soul. And that's the best way to describe it. It's like I was in darkness, but now I've come to know light. And this light, he's truly the light of the Gentiles who sat in darkness. And anybody who's known this, experientially you can say, amen, that's what it's like. The people who sit in darkness, you tell them this and they scratch their head. It doesn't tell you come to the light that you understand how dark it really is. And this is what Jesus is. He's light because it's like he, he illumines your heart, your mind, and helps you to see yourself, helps you to see God and your world properly. What a marvelous salvation to be delivered from darkness. It's, it's, it's truly remarkable. And then he goes on to say, it's for, uh, and for glory to your people Israel. Well, the reason is he's, a, he's their glory is because you've got to understand, here's the people who were promised from the beginning. These are a particular people called up by God and given the promise. The promise of what? One who would come. A deliverer who would save. This, this Messiah and his, his, the promise, his goodness, 
his glory, his kingdom. As you walk throughout scripture, it grows, it grows, it grows. It gets better and it gets better. The the people of Israel so longed and looked forward to this Messiah who would deliver them, that he truly was their glory. He was their glory. Now, granted, after we see the gospels and so many within Israel, he's a disappointment. He's not who they thought he was. He is, is, he still is Israel's glory. He is Israel's Messiah, Israel's deliverer. And so that's why he's Israel's glory, because he is the one who grants them the kingdom to sit on the throne of his, their father David forever. And in his kingdom there will be peace, and they'll know peace. This salvation is truly Israel's glory. So for both Jews and Gentiles, the whole world over, this was great news. And it's important for us to understand that when we look at all of this, he being the consolation of Israel, he being light to those who sat in darkness, him being the glory of, of, of Israel, all these words are loaded because they talk about this particular kingdom that was coming. And life in that kingdom was to be a particular kind of way. Jesus was going to deliver his people from sin, from death, and from the devil, and bring them into his kingdom of love, peace, and blessing. If you think of all the sorrow, all the pain, all the struggle, all the war in this world today, think of it for a moment. There's a lot of it. If you look at all the depression, the greed, lust, and pride, you are seeing the effects of sin, death, and the devil. This is what, that's the world of sin. It's the world of ugliness. It's not nearly as bad as it used to be. Believe it or not. <laughs> you know, the amazing thing about today is that you have news today around the world. You know what's happening globally? With a click of a button. You probably forget that. The scroll of a thumb. You could find out right now, if you have a phone, more information that people within the world, the, the previous generation from the very beginning, you can find out with more like this in about five minutes than they ever could have imagined. So if you, we, we think the world is going to hell in a handbasket. It's going down because we get all this news. We're just inundated with data, information. And you've got to process all that stuff. And it's very easy for the enemy to come and try to convince you that we're losing, that the gospel isn't effective, that the church is going down, that things are bad and in a really bad state. Primarily because in America, that's kind of true. But in the rest of the world, if you find out what's happening in India and Africa and South America and China and how the church is exploding and where Christ comes, how he brings complete and utter redemption, and not only that, he delivers people and he sets them free. And when the sun sets you free, he sets you free indeed. He is setting people free. They're not going to tell you that. But Jesus is overcoming the darkness. Jesus come to save the world, and he's truly doing a remarkable job. However, we're inundated continually with information that looks like defeat. We don't have the complete and full perspective. But Jesus is reigning and ruling today, and he's bringing complete salvation but you know what even for you folks sitting here today we struggle until the day where we put off this flesh 
and we put on incorruption, we put on immortality, we put on the new body, we put on the day of resurrection when all is new, we're going to struggle. And you know, one of the worst things we could ever struggle with is not realizing and living in the full salvation that is in Jesus. It's the worst thing possible. Because you know what our souls will do if they're left hungry? Go looking for food. And you know where we often go looking? In the wrong places. I'm telling you what. I would guarantee that most of you here are very tempted by the world and the things in it. You're inundated. If you look, there's so much pleasure. There's so much opportunity. There's so much before us today. There's so many things vying for our attention. If it isn't Facebook or the television or the computer or the Twitter, the tweets and Twitters and all the twits, I mean... If it isn't for this discontinual data, and if you love to know, and if you love to get more, you can just be drunk on this stuff. But it's filling your heart and your mind, and it's causing you to lust. The whole nature of most products in the world is there's a hook in there somewhere. They put a television program because they want you to get to watch this. I hope you like this because we've got a bunch of commercials to inject in here. And all of these commercials are going to try to create in you a lust, a want, a desire to purchase. Because if you can get this thing, then you will truly be satisfied. And it tricks us. We actually think a lot of times that if I had fill in the blank, that would be so good, right? What is the thing? I think so many of us, whether it's getting respect and honor, getting love, getting acceptance, whether it's being fulfilled or fulfilling passions and lusts, the world is constantly trying to sell us a rotten bill of goods. Constantly. The devil knows it and he has a heyday with it. Our flesh lusts and we have passions and we have desires and it's constantly trying to excite them. But tell me one time in your life when you've went and, and you've eaten and you've delighted yourself. And you're like, that, that's, that's it? All it did is kind of tell me I want more. I want more. I don't, it's not that, oh, I'm satisfied. I'm fulfilled. I'm complete. I'm at rest. I have peace. No, I want more. I want more, and I want more, and I want more. One of the, the deadliest things we face in our age is the constant dangling of juicy, delectable delights in front of our eyes. The world is constantly trying to say, come, buy from me, and when you get it, you're going to feel good. Yeah, I got it, I ate it, and I felt sick. Oh, sorry, I didn't tell you about that part. But if you try it again next time, wasn't it good while you were chewing it? Wasn't it good in the moment? Yeah, it was. I remember that. Come and get it. And we go get it again. Did you know what? Jesus. Jesus brings a salvation that deals with that issue, the issue of the soul, the issue of the wanting heart. He can truly satisfy That's what his salvation is about. His salvation is whole and complete to fulfill, to complete in us that law, that death in us, that longing for desire, for acceptance, for fulfillment, for security. It's only found in Christ. And there you find peace. You you find the yes, fulfillment. 
However, it doesn't last either in some ways, does it? You can be fulfilled in Christ. You come to here today and you find your fulfillment in him. You find your joy in him. But guess what? Middle of the week, I'm hooked on whatever it is in the world I'm going after again. What's going on? What's going on is that Jesus, if we're going to experience and know and live in the fullness of his salvation, we must be pursuing him. We must be dwelling in him, abiding in him, resting in him. And how do we do that is the question. We do that through his word, through prayer and communion with him, through his people, dwelling together with him, through his table. He he has ways and means of ministering this grace and salvation to you. But if we won't come to the table if we won't come to his word, if we don't come to his people and gather together, if we're not coming to him in prayer, if we're not accessing these ways in which we go to him, guess what? We get empty. And then we start going after the things of the world, trying to see if they will satisfy us, and they never do. You know, the salvation that Jesus brings, truly, if you've tasted and known that the Lord is good, you'll say, amen, it's good, it's rich, it's deep, it's all the way up and down. It's a great salvation that's in Jesus. But you know something about Jesus? Here's something we have to realize, and it goes on to say in this text. Jesus is not just some softy. Just because he offers such a full and abundant salvation, Jesus brings division. Because you have to and you must deal with him. Look at what it says in verse 34 and following. And Simeon blessed them, the parents, and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel. Hey, wait a second. Wasn't he just supposed to be the glory of Israel and salvation, all this goodness? What's going on here now? And for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Well, what's it talking about here now? It's because Jesus, he's amazing. And no matter how much, how great and how abundant and how awesome salvation he, he's offering, we've got to understand that he is king, lord, and judge, and will bring every thought and intention of the heart under judgment. He, he divides so straight and slices so narrow that it's hard to believe that the one guy who's offering this kind of salvation offers this kind of judgment. And this is truly what he does. It's, it's not like he's a big softy because he offers so much goodness. He, his salvation is so rich, so deep, so thorough, so good, so abundant. And they, man, he's just nothing but a softy. Oh, no. <laughs> His judgment slices fine. And it is just as thorough, just as just, just as good, just as pure. It says that many are appointed for the rise and fall in Israel. And this is the the paradoxical part of Jesus. Do you know, Jesus isn't simply going to bring salvation to the world. He's also going to bring judgment upon the world. And imagine for a moment, if you will, a king. A king that's so gracious and kind and abundant in his goodness that he says to everybody, you know what? I don't care what you've done in your past. I don't care how nasty you are, how much you've sinned. 
I'm offering you today, every single one of you, no matter who you are, if you will come to me and come into my kingdom and submit to me as Lord, I will give you all good things. You are forgiven. You are cleansed. You have not just, not just refuge, but you have blessing. You have goodness. Come to my kingdom. Wow, that's amazing. That's one good king, isn't it? One good king. But he's no softy. He says, now listen, all you who will not come, all you who will not come to me, all you out there, I will bring judgment on every one of you, the thoughts and intentions of your heart, and I will judge so perfectly and so well and so justly, that I, and I will bring condemnation, and you will get everything coming to you. Both sides. That's, that's the king we serve. He brings a dividing line that you will be experience the goodness and the blessing if you submit to him and come to him, but if you don't, it's judgment clear and definite for every thought and intention. Can you imagine being judged for every thought and intention of your heart? Can you imagine the justice of going through it? Okay, how did they think? And let's line that up against the perfect law of God. Look at your thoughts. Look at the intentions of your heart. And then executing perfect and exact justice upon that. That's what Jesus will do. And he divides... He, he, he draws a straight line. Because here's something else. He does not accept, you know, those fence-goer people. They, they, they kind of like one foot, as they say, one foot in the world, one foot in, in the kingdom. The, he doesn't say, okay, over here. It's no. It's a sharp line, and it's all here, all me, or not. That's how he divides the line. He's, he will be the cause of the rise and fall of many in Israel. Those who thought they were high will be brought low. Those who are low will be brought high. Those who, who need to decide on who Jesus is, are you going to follow me? And throughout the Gospels, and we're going to see this, so often people who, religious people and the people of the day who are like just going through the motions, the ceremonies, and especially the scribes, the Pharisees, and the lawyers, you know, they, they had it all going down. They were showing up to the services. They were going through the ceremonies, the rituals. They were here, they were they were doing the deed, they were doing the thing. And Jesus would go in and he'd say, "Uh-uh. You worship me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. You say you love me, but you truly love the world and the things in it." You say you're devoted to me and committed to me and you, you do all the performing and you do all the ceremonies, do all the rituals. But your heart is far from me. You, you can't trick him. You can't deceive him. We judge with our eyes because, well, it's all we know. He judges the heart and the thoughts and intentions of men. You might be sitting here today and you might think you'd be able to fool everybody around you, but you can't fool God. And Jesus, this is what we have to hear and understand. Jesus requires loyalty, fundamentally loyalty. He's Lord and he's King. And all the goodness of the kingdom is yours. If you'll what? If you'll turn to him with your whole heart. If you submit to him. If you come to him and lay hold of him. He's all yours. But if you profess with your mouth only 
and yet you lay hold of the world or all your juicy delectables and all those things in the world and all the lusts and cravings of the world and you're off drinking at that tap. You're drinking at that tap, but you're showing up here and putting on a show here. You will be found out. This is the straight line Jesus puts forward. He will cause many to rise and fall within Israel, within the household of God, even there. And so all of us need to... We, we, we can't get lazy with Jesus. We can't just think, you know, get in our minds, yeah, I remember the, the days when I was, you know, fully committed, devoted, serving, delighting in. But now it's just a bunch of routines and if I was to be really honest, where I get my nourishment, where I get my fill, where I get my drink, where I get my food, is really, in all honesty, in the world. That person will fool, will, will not fool God. You might fool us, but you won't fool God. We, should, we need to put no confidence in our flesh. Full and absolute confidence in the Lord, knowing that Jesus brings division in the world. We've got to decide on Jesus. You know what we have to decide? We have to decide today. And you know what, tomorrow, the next day, and the next day. And you know what we need to do? Let me say, those of you here are, who are sucking from the fountain of the world, trying to find your life and hope there, and not in Jesus, do you know what the answer is? Confess your sin, turn to the Lord, Call it what it is, and then turn to him and look to him to fill you up. We all, in our Christian walk, if we don't find ourselves confessing our sin and turning to Jesus on a daily basis, looking to him, confessing our sin to him, and clinging to him, we're not walking rightly with the Lord. One of the things that we tend to do is make up stories in our minds about the way we're living. Let's say you're sitting here today and you're not finding your joy, your fulfillment, your life, and all you need in Christ. You're finding it somewhere else. And you just t- tell yourself some lie. Deceive yourself. Because you're playing a game, but you know, it's like, yeah, but I do, you know, you've, the things of God, you check off like a box. Yeah, well, I go to church, you know, I... I take communion, I've been baptized, it's like, that's, that's, I, got, I got all my tickets punched. What else do I need to do? You need to hear and know that there's no fooling with God. You can't mess with him that way. You can't give Jesus lip service. You can't even give him body service where you, you're going through the motions here. He requires all of you. You've got to give him your whole heart. That's what our Lord requires. So he draws a straight line. And we have to deal with him. C.S. Lewis put it well when he said, "I'm um, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg 
or else he'd be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he, uh, he was and is God. Going one step further, we can't accept him as God and then not submit to him as God. Because even the devils know that he's God and believe that, as James puts it. At the beginning of this sermon, I mentioned that the salvation of the world was, been present, was being presented to the temple here in this Luke passage. And yet there were only two people who understood the significance of it while the rest of the world went about its business. The sad part is that even today, throughout all America, Jesus is being presented to people. But mostly those people who are hearing about it and it's being presented to are people in the pews of churches. And you know what? They're often just going about their usual ceremonies. But they're looking to find their salvation in people and in things. They're not finding their life in Christ. So let me close by asking you a question. And this is important. We all got to ask ourselves this question. And you know what I would say? Ask this question of yourself a lot. Because it's also going to lead you as to what you need to do next. Here's the question. Is your soul satisfied in Jesus? Or are you serving the Lord in body only? Or with lips only? Another question. Do you come here looking to Jesus to fill you up? Looking to Jesus to give you what you need? Do you come here and do you confess your sins, the sins of your flesh, the sins of your heart, the sins where, where you're looking and longing for other things? Or are you double-mouthed or double-intentioned or double-hearted, where on the one hand you want your little precious But on the other hand, you go through the motions and you somehow just confess to him your sins and you can and you sing to him those little songs and you and you sit here and you listen and you take communion. But, you know, your heart's far from him. This is the vital question. Don't deceive yourselves with the ceremonies. Don't deceive yourselves with your routines. Don't deceive yourselves. Because the best thing that could ever happen is for you to really look straight in the mirror and say, you know what, God? I have went went after false gods. I 
have sinned in this way. I have looked to the world and the things in it to give me what only you can. That person on that day has done the greatest thing ever because they saw themselves for who they truly are and confessed their sins and looked to the Lord and said, Lord, you alone can only satisfy and fill me up. And you know what that person, now the person needs to seek the Lord and look to Jesus through his word. Look to Jesus at the table. Look to Jesus in, 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 in putting around them the fellowship of believers to be built up. Look to Jesus in prayer. Look to Jesus and as a person and as you look to Jesus, he fills you up. That's why the best thing you could ever do is see yourself for who you truly are and confess with your mouth, I have done that. That's me. And then know what you need to do. You confess it and you repent. Turn by going to Jesus and looking for him to fill you up. That's what we need to do today. Take a good look here and a good look there at Jesus and be honest and honestly deal with him. Amen. Father, thank you so much. for Jesus and the life he is to us. We confess, Father, we know that we have not been wholehearted. We've not come to you, the fountain of life, and drank deeply. We've gone to broken cisterns that can't hold any water, and there we've looked for life. Oh, Lord God, have mercy. And may we turn to Jesus fully with all our hearts and look for you to fill us up completely. And so that the morsels and the tasties of the world look putrid as they really are. For we ask this in Christ. Amen.